Hey guys, welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. I'm Eleni. I thought your name was Elen. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I'm Jeffrey. Elenio. Elenio, Eleni, uh, Eleno. Take your pick. All are valid. All are valid. I will respond to all of them because I do not like confrontation. <laughs> um, today we are discussing episode 14 of season 3, Swan Song. Yes, but first we're going to be answering some more questions from the audience. From the audience, because we didn't get to all of them last week, because if we did, the episode would have been three hours long, and no. Yes. Ready, Jeffrey? I'm ready. So, this is always a question we get. What are you both currently reading? Oh, dear. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, that, that's its own podcast. Like, I said that a lot, but a lot of the things we talk about, like, that's its own podcast. Yeah, we could definitely talk about books. Forever. So what are you currently reading? I'm currently reading a book called All My Mother's Lovers. I have that on my list. Is it any good? So far, really good. I like it. I'm about 40% through. Well, tell them what it's about. It's about a woman. <laughs> it's about Maggie, who is a lesbian. A lesbian. As, as uh, you know, in Friends, when Ben. Yes. <laughs> lesbians. Yeah, lesbians. But it's also in, in Gilmore Girls, you know, in season five. Yes. Anyways, whatever. So her Maggie is a lesbian, and her mom always struggled to um, accept that. And her mother dies in, like, a freak accident, and she goes home for the funeral. And her mother has left behind all these letters for people that Maggie does not recognize and doesn't know about. So she sets off on a journey to deliver them. Mm-hmm. And uh, she discovers a lot of things about her mother that she did not know. Interesting. I might have to get to it now that you said it's enjoyable. So far, so good. But I'm also very into, like, family drama. Yes. I'm drawn to things like that. Um, so it's funny that you asked what we're reading because... And you ta- and you said you're talking about a book um, involving mothers and daughters because I am also reading a book involving mothers and daughters. Mm. Um, it's called I Was Told... Things, I was told it would get easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought reading it. Um, I, only, I think I came across it a couple months ago on Goodreads, and I was like, this sounds interesting. And I actually thought it was a YA book at first, because just the cover and the premise sounded kind of young adult-ish. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's, it's uh, adult contemporary. So I put a reserve on it at the library months ago. And they, it, it, came in, it came in last week. And I was like, for me, whenever I get a book in at the library... I feel like I have to just drop everything and read it because I'm like, I've been waiting for this for so long, even if I'm not in the mood for it. Oh, I'm not like that at all. <laughs> so this time, like, I didn't actually just drop everything. I was like, I'm going to get to it. I'll finish what I'm reading now and then I'll get to it. And it's it's pretty good so far. It's actually, sim- I'm not going to say similar. It's the mother-daughter dynamic is a bit reminiscent of Gilmore Girls, but there's a lot of reviews on Goodreads saying like, don't read this if you like Gilmore Girls. It's nothing like that. And I'm like, you realize that mother-daughter relationships don't have to always be like Gilmore Girls, right? Yeah, so we've said it before because me and my mother don't really have a very conventional relationship. Mm-hmm. Your daughter relationships are cray-cray. Like, one day, all I want to do is hug my mom. The other day, I'm like, please stop breathing so loudly. Exactly. Like, like and I think any girl will tell you that growing up, you were always the devil to your mother and vice versa. So yes. like a lot of things on this show, mother-daughter relationships exist on a spectrum, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And like, 
I, I don't think if you watch Gilmore Girls, you automatically relate to Lorelai and Rory's relationship. No. But, like, I think there are some aspects of their uh, dynamic throughout the whole show that people can see themselves in. I'm not going to say that every single aspect is completely you, but sure. it does it does just show a lot of, about parent, parent-child relations, I guess. Relations. <laughs> relations. Public relations. Got it. Um, I also just finished Donald Trump's niece's book. Oh, dear. Okay, but no, this book is wild. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I think, because I read a lot of Trump books, mm-hmm. it's such a fascinating topic. But anyways, I think what this book is, what's different about this book is that every other book that I've read about the Trump administration or Trump in general is you definitely get the sense that they're only doing this for the money. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, she's like legitimately calling out not just her uncle, but her entire family. And I think for reasons that are personal to her. Yeah. So it was very, very good. It's also different because she's a clinical psychologist. So it's really easy for her to kind of diagnose her family. Interesting. So um, I really loved it. I don't know if I loved it because I'm a messy bitch who loves all the tea. (laughs) (laughs) I finished it in like two days. And um, it was very good. It's um, it's interesting with with Trump books. I find that some of them, like you said, are written for the money, and then others you can just tell that they either like maybe they were they were once with him on his side, and they weren't, and it's like they just want to profit off of telling some kind of story. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? All the books that I've read about this administration and Trump in general. Um, you could kind of tell from the first chapter what the book is going to be, why the book was written. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So some of them, more than others, I'm like, ugh, okay, I get it. Like, you're trying to redeem yourself, kind of. Yeah. Like, doing it for the money or two, they're trying to, like, salvage whatever respect some people might still have for them, but it's not working. Mm-hmm. Or two, they're doing it because something re- something happened and they're genuinely, like... Like, his niece is, ge- I think she's genuinely afraid for the future of the country. Yeah. Um, and it's really interesting. In the book, you find out that this whole expose that the New York Times did about the Trump family committing fraud. Mm-hmm. Niece was the one who provided them with all the documents. And for years, she remained anonymous. So Interesting. Yeah. So, like, you could already tell why she's writing the book. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I loved it. Because, again, messy bitch, but... <laughs> We're both messy bitches. Like, go ahead, ask me how many times I've read Ladies Who Punch. Yeah, well, that's a whole different thing. Speaking of Ladies Who Punch, by the way, I don't know why I'm going to bring this up, but I heard about it the other day, and I was just like, ooh, Megan. Oh, so, boy. You know, we're both not fans of Megan McCain. Honestly, I haven't really been keeping up with the views since it's been, like, at home on... Well, it's, they're off now, right? So yeah. it's fine. But, um, so I think it was late last week or during the weekend where somebody wrote an article saying the premise of the article was the view fans are excited for this new season because they're going into season 24, but not excited about Megan McCain. <laughs> I mean, are view fans excited for season 24 as long as megan is there like okay, so here's the thing i think people are probably excited because this election season is going to get messy 
Yeah. You know it's going to lead to, like, some messy conversations. But, um, yeah, I don't... Whatever. So, Megan, <laughs> Megan responded to this article. Of course she did. Of course she did. Because right? she, she finds everything that's ever mentions her on the internet. She's like, actually, I find this funny. Haha. <laughs> like, shut up. Nobody asked you. Okay, so the title of the article is The View Sets Return Date. Fans excited for comeback, but not for Megan McCain. <laughs> so, um, Megan responded. I don't normally comment on garbage written, written, but this is an example. I'm just quoting, okay? This is an example why our culture is so deeply toxic for women. No man would ever have this kind of a headline written. Do better, be better, lift women up instead of tearing strong ones down. And I love the show's audience. So first of all, this tweet is has a bunch of spelling mistakes. Uh, number two, Megan, it's not sexist. We just don't like you. <laughs> But of course she gets away with making it about sexism, right? Like, yo, and I'm pretty sure men have had this shit written about them. She's right in the sense not to the extent that women usually get it written about them. Mm-hmm. But nobody is complaining that, like, the 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 usual sexist trope, like, oh, shrill and na-na-na. That's not why we're complaining. We're complaining because you're a dick. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. Cause... Like, nobody is complaining because you're fucking a woman. And, like, it's weird be- that she always makes it about that because she always says, you know, like, oh, I, I grew up watching this show. Barbara was, like, we were friends. I'm like, you weren't friends, but all right. Shut up. Um, I don't know why I'm using past tense because Barbara's still alive, but... Um, the, just, like, the way that she always makes it about, like, oh, it's, they always, like, pit, like, pit pit women against women. It's, like, that's what the show is about. And, like, the the media is not new with that. So, the fact that you always bring it back to sexism is not about you. But the thing is, like, there's another, she retweeted a People magazine article. It says, Megan McCain says women are punished for being tough while men are celebrated for it. And here's the thing. I agree with that headline, but not when it comes from fucking Megan McCain. No. Because you're not tough. No. People call you out on your shit and you cry. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I'm getting, a, I'm getting a flash of her slamming her hand on the table being like, I'm John McCain's daughter. And not only that, remember when people were saying that. Remember when she cried because she's like, I'm very scared about anti-Semitism in this country. Oh and you're God. like, okay, yeah, who here is saying that they're not? Like, I don't know. I don't know. So, um, I don't know. No, it's true. It's not about the fact that you're women. It's about the fact that you're a dick and nobody likes you. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, I find it really hypocritical. Ugh, we're not going to get into this. Never mind. I can go on and on. <laughs> uh, Next question. Next question. Jesus, how did we get on the topic of Megan McCain? Okay. I unfortunately brought up ladies who punch. I know you should never do that in front of me. Okay. Uh, what do you think about Lorelai and Jason as a couple? Have we answered this question before? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I like them as a couple. I find that, you know, anybody who ships Luke and Lorelai, you obviously that's like the end game. Yeah. But no, we're not arguing with that, by the way. No. But I think I feel like um, knowing, having seen the show several times, obviously that um, Jason and Lorelai were only together that one season. I find it was like a nice break from the constant like Luke and Lorelai staring at each other and not getting a room. Yeah, 
I agree. I like Luke and Lorelai. Uh, Luke and Lorelai. I like Lorelai and Jason as a couple. I think they work well together. It's someone from her past that's not a dick, Christopher. Mm-hmm. And um, it, yes, he's like kind of in her parents' world, but he's very down to earth. And um, I thought I thought they had good chemistry. Yeah, and I, and I also like how um, in the end it comes down to like Jason separating himself from her parents and like and you know actually suing them and yeah. the and Lorelai's like it, it's funny that Lorelai actually takes her parents side and like I can't date someone who's suing my family yeah so the whole the, we can get into this a bunch in season four but um the end of their relationship was kind of sad because what choice did Jason have exactly and what choice did Lorelai have exactly so it was really really sad for me mm-hmm. um, and I kind of not that I knew that they weren't going to break up eventually because I knew Luke and Lorelai were meant to be together, but the whole way it went down, I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, like, I find throughout the course of season four, they like you said, they have great chemistry and the storyline flows really well. And then it's like, it's ending and there's no other choice. And no. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, Jason, thumbs up from me. Yes, from me too. And we'll do this one last because we fucking got into Megan McCain talk. Um, have either of you experienced burnout from work? How do you cope? That's a loaded question. Who asked that? Jeez. Uh, again, a different podcast. Uh, yeah, but I feel like we've already overshared, so fuck it. Oh, how many times have we overshared on this podcast? Every damn episode. Um, you go first. I'm going to have to like, formulate an answer. So yeah, I've experienced burnout from work and from school. Yes. Um, my solution in school is to like drop a class. Mm. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I, I can tell you about a recent experience. So when I was living in New Brunswick, um, I experienced burnout, yes, from work, but from a different aspect of it. So it wasn't the work that made me burn out. It was more the relationship. Mm-hmm. My supervisor, Jeffrey knows all about this, but like yes. the relationship with the people there. They were bitches. Yeah, a lot of them weren't great, especially my supervisor. Um, you know, and it's out of my control kind of thing. But I would go to work excited for the work, but hating that aspect of it. You know, that other aspect of it. Yeah. So I would like dread going into work, which is not something you want from a job, you know a job that you've moved for (laughs) a job left your family behind for so I was like really unhappy while I was there but I was trying to like play it down every time I spoke to my mom because she worries a lot and um it was just I was kind of (laughs) miserable um and I made the decision to come back um I think a lot of it when you're experiencing something like that is knowing when to quit Mm mm-hmm and I know a lot of people are like, Mom, I don't raise no quitter. But, like, <laughs> quitting is not necessarily a bad – I don't mean quitting the job. I'm saying, like, qu- like stopping. Quitting – knowing when to take a timeout is maybe better. Yeah, and I would also argue that, like, a good quit is, is like, it feels powerful. It's, like, knowing when to say enough, this is not for me, it's not benefiting me anymore. Exactly. It's, like, saying saying no and, say, and saying goodbye to something that is not benefiting you or is – affecting you in a negative light like that's that's a strength to know when to like say enough is enough 
Exactly. It's about quitting was not the right word, but it's about saying, like you said, enough is enough. I'm putting me first and like things can't go on the way they are, you know? Yeah. And just in terms of quitting, when I when I decided that I wasn't going to stay anymore, mm-hmm. um, it was I gave them a month's notice. Yeah. Um, because my supervisor was going to be away and I didn't want to leave them in a lurch kind of thing. And they were still dicks about it. I mean, yeah, some of them were still dicks about it, but um, some of them were really nice. Don't get me wrong. I made some really good friends there. But um, it's just when you when I said that I wasn't going to sign a renewal for my contract, which was also very unfair, the contract that they negotiated for me. Um, <laughs> that's another story. When I said that I wasn't going to sign it, this huge like weight was lifted off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you can ask anyone that I was speaking to at that time. Um, I was way lighter <laughs> every oh, time. Yeah. Every time I spoke to them, every time I was like, yeah, it's the one more week until I come home. And I didn't even care that when I was coming home, I didn't have a full-time job in my field. I was like, listen, I'm going to make it work. It's okay. You know, I'm lucky also that I had a very supportive family. And but, it's like be- better here working your old job yeah. than uh, staying there and being miserable. Exactly. Even though it was in my field, you know. Um, so, yeah, I would say just coping how do I cope? It's just knowing when to draw the line, knowing when to say this is not for me. Uh, knowing when you need to take a mental health day sometimes. Mm. <laughs> I, yeah, I would sometimes force myself to go into work um, when I would get there and I wouldn't be able to focus and I'd be miserable. Sometimes mm-hmm. you need a break. Um, never be ashamed of that, I will say. Yeah. And yeah, that's my advice. So burnout and coping with burnout are um, two things that I still struggle with. I don't really have a definitive answer to how do I cope because it kind of shifts and changes. And it's definitely shifted and changed this year. Shall we all agree? Yes, all agree, please. Um, I'll, I'll applause. Um, but I would have to say for me, it's kind of just like learning your own like learning your own thought patterns and trying to, you know, correct the ways that your thoughts might take you into a dangerous territory. Cause like for me, I had to learn that I kind of had this really unhealthy work ethic for Mm -hmm. all of my life. And I find that there's a a general theme maybe among people my age that, um, you know, all like you grew up thinking like everything had to be perfect. You're like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. I'm, I'm afraid of failure. And, like, I don't know, a lot of people I know my age said that in school, and even now, like, I know people younger than me say that. And I'm, like, I think, I'm not, I mean, not to downplay anyone else's struggles, and you don't know what what anyone else is struggling with. But from my perspective, I find that a lot of the people I experienced who said that, it was kind of like using OCD as a verb or an adjective. Mm. And not really, like, you don't, you don't actually struggle with that. Like, I'm sure you, that's an issue for you, but... It's not, it's not to the extent that you, you say it is. Not to say that I know what you're struggling with, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Like, there's I'm a difference depressed. between actually having OCD and using it as a verb. Yeah, you know, people are like, I'm so depressed today. And you're like, mm. <laughs> Yeah, not, not to say that, like, you don't have reason to feel depressed, that you are not depressed, but, like, maybe just be a little more, kind of like using fat phobic language, you know? Like, don't say, like, oh, you're, I think you've put on a few pounds. Like, nobody says that, you know? Everybody in my family says that. Well, I know that. Yeah, okay, well, your family's toxic. I don't want to talk about them. But anyway, Actually, I just sorry. Kind of learn... Jeff can get away with so much shit like, that he says about my family. It's ridiculous. <laughs> your family's on crack, I swear. Oh, my God. 
Um, so for me with burnout and coping with it, it's kind of just been learning my own thought patterns and kind of just rewriting this whole belief system that I had where I had to constantly be going and like, I'm not going to say fulfilled, but I had to constantly be doing something, you know, which for a long time was school. So I had to like constantly be doing schoolwork. And if I stopped, you know, what else did I have? I have nothing Mm -hmm. like I've also just like, I'm also just really obsessed with being perfect and always have been like, I remember being a kid and still a kid. I remember being like really little and being obsessed with being perfect. So like for me it was in order to achieve this unattainable level of perfection that I have in my head, I had to constantly be doing this, this and this, even when it was to my detriment and causing me like level three, level three burnout and just like awful. So I'm going to say there was like a good course of maybe two, three years where it was just like that all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was not very good. No. Nope. So, um, it's so it's obviously still something I struggle with now, but it's I think it's easier to kind of talk myself off the ledge knowing that, okay, that this is like a thought pattern I can stop in its tracks. I can like we're gonna um like what's the word? Not mindfulness, but we're gonna like re like reroute the thought into something healthier and just kind of just knowing yourself and your limits, which is also still something I'm learning because I can go through a period where I don't feel like I'm doing anything productive and then I'm going to commit to way too much after and then be burnt out. And so in conclusion, it's still something I'm learning, but um, my suggestion to all of, to everyone listening would be to just learn your limits, remember your limits and try to, you know, stop intrusive thoughts in their tracks. Yeah. Um, but I also think one last thing I'll say, I also think like, it's an ongoing process like I learning what you can take learning your limits is an ongoing process yes so um don't feel bad if if something that worked last year doesn't work anymore this year it happens you're gonna get there you're gonna Mm -hmm. feel differently a pandemic is gonna happen and throw everything off course yes and And for me too I was also um I was also like to me I also had like a fear of growing up like not not in the sense of like oh I don't want to be a kidney like I I don't want to be an adult like adulthood is scary like uh like it was I got to the point where I would just like repress and not deal with any like approaching adult responsibilities to the point where I would like not be able to function without you know watching Winnie the Pooh or something like (laughs) (laughs) so um, for me, I actually also had to learn that, you know, by embracing growth and letting, you know, growth take its natural course, we can kind of grow out of our old selves and leave their drama behind. So, like, if you are scared of, you know, entering adulthood, it is scary and terrible and terrible. And just oh, so you know, um, but just know that by, um, you know, stepping forward into growth that you can, you know, learn to lift the weight of your former selves off of you and and breathe fresh air once again. Not to say it's going to always going to be fresh air, but, you know. Sometimes it's going to be COVID-filled air. Exactly. So <laughs> <laughs> just know that the weight does lift at some point. might come back, but it does lift. It'll get better. It'll get better. Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> what is that we say in French? Ça va bien aller? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, let's not talk about that. Okay. Yeah, that was the COVID uh, Quebec 
what tagline slogan i mean it was a french slogan yeah so and it was it's gonna be okay we had rainbow stickers all through the like the spring this year saying ça va bien aller i'm like yeah please get that out of my face okay well you're just bitter okay i'm bitter (laughs) i think that's enough questions for today i think it is um we might do this again soon because we like hearing from you but um let's talk about this episode (laughs) swan song swan song and i have to say something what the fuck is with all the swans amy <laughs> does, does Amy Sherman Palladino love swans or something? I think either she loves swans or she, swans. <laughs> swans. <laughs> or she herself has a fear of swans. True, <laughs> because in the in the um the first season with Michelle and the swans. Yeah, and now Jess gets attacked by a swan. A swan! I get it, I said it again. A sw- it's like swans swan song all in one. Swan. Swan. Okay, anyways, a swan. Anyway, so this is the episode where Rory and Jess have their first major fight. Mm -hmm. Shall we call it that? Fight, uh, argument. I would say it's a fight. He storms out without his coat, shall I say. True. Where are you going without your coat, Jess? Honestly, Jess is a bit of an immature ass in this episode, I have to say. Yeah, but also Rory is. Like, Rory's always an immature ass, but... (laughs) (laughs) Like, I find Jess just... Like, you can tell at this point that he just... He's not good at handling his own emotions. No, for sure. And hasn't been taught how to handle his own emotions. No, that's that's where I cut him some slack. Because I'm... On the one hand, I'm like, yes, I get it. On the one hand, I'm like, fuck you, Jess. Like, this is not how fully formed 18 year olds have a conversation with their girlfriend i know and number two i'm like it's not his fault his dad left his mom's a flake yeah like well, not to, like again not to use that to erase all of his flaws or say that jess was not a flawed character absolutely um but in comparison to other people <coughs> dean <coughs> oh um i think jess had more layers to him yeah and growth and, you know, character development, things that Dean sorely lacks. Absolutely. So, and Christopher lacks, too, just so we're clear. Oh, sperm donor bitch. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, the scene with the book that you posted about, I guess, a month ago or so? Yes, a while ago, with the book tease. Book tease. That happens in this episode. It does. Um, all, all I want is a cute boy to call me a book tease. Am I asking too much? Am I? During a pandemic, maybe. Yes, during a pandemic, yes, probably. But once this pandemic ends, get you on that grinder. <laughs> oh my grinder scares me, okay? Why? <laughs> it's just, I don't know. Like, you know, have you ever seen, like, screenshots that people post on Twitter all the time? I'm like, ooh. Yeah, I feel like that's for every dating app because some people are just ridiculous. True. And you, and you don't see the nice screenshots. You only see the gross exactly. ones. Exactly. Nobody's ever, it's like the news. Nobody's ever going to post, like, a good interaction they had on Grindr or on Tinder because they're out there living their lives, you know? Mm -hmm. So obviously for entertainment purposes, they're just going to give us the shitty Grindr hookups. True. So we're going to make Jeffrey, tune in for our bonus episode where we make Jeffrey a profile. Okay. That's, oh boy. All right. Let's put a pin in that. All right. Um, Um, I'm also very excited about sharing books I'm reading. Are you like that too? I mean, with each other, we're like that. 
Yeah. It does but, get to points. It does get to points where where we disagree very strongly, and we're like, okay, we're gonna take a break from book talk and friendship. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But um, I would never. I he's right. She is a book tease. I would never give the person the book and be like, isn't it amazing? Of course they're gonna want it. Mm-hmm. I would never do that though. It's wasn't even, like, just talking, like, vaguely about it. Like, oh, I'm reading this. It's about this. Like, oh, I'll let you know what I think. Like, no. She was like, look at this book. It's great. I'm not done. Yeah, look at the picture of his dad. Like, oh, by the way, his dad is James Lipton that does Inside the Actor's Studio. Yeah. Why didn't they know that? They're such such pop culture buffs. True. Inexcusable. Inexcusable. But anyways, um... What did I want to say? Oh, yeah, I wanted to say that just in this 30-second scene where they're talking about all this, you can already tell that Jess and Rory have way more chemistry than Dean and Rory ever did. Yeah. And way more in common. No argument from me. No argument from anyone, by the way. But, yeah, I was just like, oh, my God, look at these conversations with substance in them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and not like, I don't know, going to Harvard. I don't care about Harvard. Monster trucks. <laughs> Anyways, I'm going to kick the bag now. Seriously. But, yeah, I've been waiting for that so hard. Thank you. Um, yeah, so that was that. And Rory then asked Jess if he could get Friday night off because her grandmother wants to meet him. Mm-hmm. And we already know that that's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. But we're keeping our comments to ourselves for now. And, like, you can... I'm not going to say that Jess wants to make the effort. But, like, the fact that he... Like, in the moment, he realizes, like, oh, this is important to her. I guess I can try. Yes, for sure. And, like, not to give him a medal for, like, going. But in comparison to other people... Dean. Stop it. uh, Like, just... I'm not going to say he was, you know, nicer than Dean. But, like, imagine... If I'm not gonna say that Emily attacked Dean the way that she ended up ended up attacking Lorelai about Jess, but did um, you know Richard attack Dean? Yes, he did, and I find that I don't like. I wonder what how would that have gone like if um, the way that Rory had brought Dean to that dinner and they had that whole thing about argument about colleges. Like imagine he had brought she had brought um, Jess to dinner and. Richard was like, so, what's your future like? He'd be like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, but you know what? I think Jess can hold a conversation with Richard better than Dean can. True. But unfortunately, we never got to see that. I know. Maybe it's for the best. I don't know. I don't know what to say. (laughs) Because at least, like, I have to say, though, Emily does give a remarkable performance pretending to like him. Okay, so can I just say, we're going all out of order. But it doesn't matter. Um, Emily was everything that a grandmother should be in that moment. Yeah. You know when Jess walks out? Like, yeah. supportive. She's, she doesn't say anything. She's like, let her, let her think, whatever. Like, come on, we don't know what happened after there. But, but still, you know, she's not, she's not being super judgmental. She's not like, I told you so. She, she did that with Lorelai. But in that moment with Rory, she's everything that you want a grandmother to be. Mm-hmm. And it was really surprising to watch because you expect her to fly off the handle. Yeah. So I really love that moment with them. Honestly, I think I don't think we would expect her to fly off the handle 
like with just Rory and Jess. I feel like if Lorelai had been present, yes. Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe because we know that she's just putting on such a performance for that. But in the, in the moment, you don't realize that it's performance. And you know, she's like, passes the phone. She's like, what are you doing? He belongs in jail. How yeah, did you let that, him associate that was, with a criminal? Yeah, she calls him a thug. But I mean, it, I, but, uh, I can't speak. Emily has never been shy about saying what she feels. Right. And like t- calling people morons. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I really do think she was putting in the effort for her granddaughter. And it might have just been because Rory was like, everyone's going to be nice. Right, Grandma? Nice. Yes. So I, I really appreciated her effort. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's talk about Rory and Dean at Miss Chatty Patty's one-woman show. <laughs> I think Miss Patty deserves her own spinoff, don't you? Much more than Jess. <laughs> okay. we're No, no. I... <laughs> Still have never forgiven the WB for not picking up that spinoff. And the WB doesn't even exist anymore. The CW now. Yes, but still, I've never forgiven the, the, the WB for not picking up the Jess spinoff. All right, relax. <laughs> um, yeah, seriously, calm your hormones. But I think Miss Patty would have been like a good, a good like sitcom or something. But you know, she talks about all these things that she did in like a her past life. She talks about all these things that she's done before, you know? Yeah. And you're just like, I want to know. I feel like that's part of the charm and the quirk. It's like, there's so much you don't know that doesn't make any sense. And it's just like, yeah, well, that's Miss Patty. Yeah, I know. You're like, all right, you've been married like 18 times. Sure, makes sense. (laughs) I want to meet some of her husbands. I know. Ugh, I don't know. But, okay, so they they get dragged into watching Miss Patty's one-woman show. Which is more or less just her arguing with Kirk. Which is in and of itself great feeder. <laughs> they shake that on the road. Um, and Jess then calls Rory because he sees on a flyer that they were together because mm-hmm. somebody wrote a review. Yeah. Who's writing these reviews also? Ugh, someone, with, someone without much to do. Yeah, too much time in their hands. But anyways, so in this scene, Jess is upset, but I wouldn't call him angry. No, I think he was just, I mean, I think he, he, without knowing what happened, might have had reason to ask. Yeah, so I've had this conversation before and somebody's like, well, it's the same thing. Rory assumed and Jess assumed. And I'm like, no, it's not the same thing. Because Jess asked Rory, were you with him? And Rory was like, yes, we were together, but I swear nothing happened. We just got pulled in. Mm-hmm. And he let it go. He's like, all right, no problem. Just like he let it go at the carnival. Exactly. And I think Jess is upset with Rory, but he's more angry at Dean than Rory. Mm-hmm. And he seemed more angry about the fact that he found out the way he did. Not that they were actually hanging out. Yeah. Because he says to her, just let me know so that I don't read it on a lap post. Exactly. Like, he wasn't saying, like, bitch, what are you doing? Like, imagine if the roles were reversed. Dean would have her, like, in a friggin' headlock. Like, that's... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, am I wrong? <laughs> Oh my gosh, okay, it wasn't that funny. I just pictured it because she's so much taller than her. Exactly. All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. Okay. (laughs) Headlock. 
Okay. Um, yeah, I said the same thing at the carnival episode, right? Can you imagine if they, the roles were reversed, like you said, and Dean um, found out that Rory and Jess were friends? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, just like he re- just like he reacted in uh, season two, episode sixteen, where he's like, where you know, Rory wants the night alone, and then Paris, Jess, and then Dean show up, and yeah. he's like, "What is he doing here? I'm waiting for an answer." And Paris, like, um, it was me. Paris like, saved the day. Yes. She definitely saved the day. Um, yeah. So I think in this in in these scenes, we see how much as much as Jess. As much as we say Jess is insecure and he's very, um, he has a lot of growing up to do. In another, um, the flip side of that is that in some cases he's way more mature than Gene will ever be. Yeah. And he trusts Rory, and he always gives her the benefit of the doubt. Like that's the thing too. I feel like trust is a real is really key in this area because I'm not gonna say that Dean didn't trust her. I don't think. But- he does- like, I feel like there was trust, but it was phony. Mm, exactly. Like, I feel like if he, if push came to shove, he would say, yes, he trusted her. But then, oh, he she broke my heart. Like, mm, yeah, but you're also a dick. Well, that's true. Nobody likes you. I never so. understood why Dean didn't just break up with Rory. Like, when he was not spying on her, but when, you know that scene where he's looking at her through the window with Lorelai? And he's like, Roy, you never lie. And then he's like at her house and Lorelai comes and he's like, she likes Jess, doesn't she? Just break up with her. What are you, what are you doing? Yeah, you let it go on for so much longer. Like you could have been like, uh, I'm done. I'm out. But anyways, so um, definitely think that Jess comes out on top in this scenario. And not to, again, because uh, this was an issue yesterday with a tweet posted by someone in this uh, podcast. It wasn't me. Um, directed at me. It wasn't directed at you. You literally wrote, this tweet is directed at Jeffrey. Yeah, I may have wrote that. <laughs> so, yes, there is an, like, I feel like, um, I feel like Jess fans do kind of um, gloss over his flaws because, yes, he's he pretty, and yes, he loves to read. Yeah. That was- so, like, that's valid. Like, yes, drag me. <laughs> um... But also, I, like, I'm here acknowledging that he does have flaws. Like, when push comes to shove, like, yes, Jess was a flawed character, but he was much more layered character with growth in comparison to <clears throat> Dean. <clears throat> Why do you keep doing that? Just say Dean. <sighs> because uh, he is the devil who shall not be named. But we've even named though, him. Even though we've named him so many times. Um, not Voldemort, relax. He should be Voldemort. He's, like, ugly. So... Oh, <laughs> Now he's ugly. And he gets uglier in season four. Different story. But um, I do think that Jess fans obviously do gloss over the fact that he had flaws. And that's why Dean fans do get a little upset. And it's like, well, Jess wasn't perfect. Like, we understand that. But in comparison to your favorite, mm, mm, he was. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but no, I agree. And by the way, the point of that tweet was not, oh my God, excuse me. <laughs> the point of that tweet was not to be like, um, Jess is terrible. And uh, by the way, he didn't pressure her to have sex. That's not why he got mad. Um, the point was, like you said, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate because we get so much shit when we hate on Dean. 
See, I didn't even have to consult with you. I knew for a fact that you like playing devil's advocate in that debate. Exactly. You know, <laughs> Um, but it's just to acknowledge the fact that all these characters have flaws, right? And just because we like one over the other doesn't mean that we gloss over those flaws. No. And like I said, there's like the the scene at the party, which we'll get to soon, where Jess does quote unquote attempt to have sex with her and she doesn't and she is not interested. That scene is much more complex than oh, he tries to force her and she has she says no. Like there's a lot more going on. Exactly. And I even acknowledged that in a comment that I wrote just now. Yes. Um, okay. So why does Luke know so much about Lorelai's wardrobe? <laughs> I think, again, get a room. Yeah, okay. Well, that's, yeah. But I think it was just like a nod to them. Like, oh, they're clearly meant to be together. Why aren't you being together? And like, you know each other. You, you clearly know each other so well. Exactly. But, you know, rude, Amy. Yes. Amy. Okay. <laughs> Amy. <laughs> Just gonna call her out by name now. Um, okay, so the scene where Lorelai finds Jess and Rory horizontal. <laughs> yeah. Um. So first of all, they're teenagers. You know they're doing that. Yeah. And second of all, I wanted to say Rory 100% made out more with Dean and in public. So why is she freaking about Rory? About Rory making out with Jess in a private place. Um, I think that has to do with, like, Jess's yes. reputation. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, the thing is, Rory's right when they're talking about it later. She hasn't changed, right? No. Fine, you trust Jess, but you trust your daughter, right? Mm-hmm. So, trust her? Everything good? Yeah. And I think I think that has to do with, like, the age-old parental debate of, like, yes, I trust you, I just don't trust the teenage boy with his own, you know, sex drive. <laughs> Which is, like, a diff- also a different story, because, like, when the time did come, Rory was like, uh, no, not here, not now. Exactly. You know Rory. Relax. I know it's, like, every parent's fear. Yeah, and not to say, that like, Rory couldn't find herself in that situation, but, But know, also, I think- like, I think it comes with extra baggage, because Laura is like, oh, my God, Rory's my age. She can get pregnant. Exactly. Um, but still, I'm like, can you chill? Please, just chill. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you need to calm down. You need to calm down. That song no longer does it for me, by the way. <laughs> I think I use it way right. too much. <laughs> um, but I do like um, Jess. I do like Luke's system. Yes, about, oops, I ran out of ones. <laughs> yeah. Oops, did you see a case of mustard? What the fuck is a case of mustard doing next to your bed? I know. <laughs> Idiots. Like, they see right through you. Yes. But also, I just think this is, like, Luke's crazy parenting skills, where they're not really skills, but he's parenting in his own way. Yeah, and, like, at least he's actually acknowledging, that like, uh, you know, something could happen if I don't go up there. Yeah, but it's also, like, super unconventional and something you'd expect from, like, a bachelor who inherited this kid, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like, I'm parenting in my own way. It's not it's not what you would have done, but I know what I'm doing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of love that about him. Especially, like, at this point, I find it gets, obviously gets messy later when Jess doesn't graduate and they kind of part ways. Yeah, um, sure. But, like, at this point in season three, before it gets ugly, it's it's nice. I like it. I But we've said it before. We like their dynamic at this point in the show. Yes. Um, and the fact that Lorelai's freaking out more than Luke was a little bit surprising, too. Because, you know, when they first got together, Luke is like, 
They will not be together alone without my knowing. I'm going to find them. Let me sniff her sweater. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Because, I, I mean, could we say in this instance it's kind of like um, guardian of the boy and mother of the girl? Yeah. But like I mean, the, like the mother is more worried about the girl than the father is about the boy, kind of thing. Oh, for sure, it's definitely rooted in sexism. But yeah. at the same time, it's like I think for for Lorelai, seeing it is different. Mm-hmm. So like seeing them horizontal on the couch, and coming to the realization that she's going out of town, <laughs> and that like the house is gonna be empty. Yeah. Oh damn. And like obviously you like we we know that people like Rory have sense and not just not to like not not to romanticize them as like oh well Rory's a good girl nothing happens to good girls who cross their legs but like you know teenagers do tend to have certain urges hormones (laughs) and things do happen as Lorelai knows so I think she's just not she's not concerned about her daughter being stupid. She's concerned about her daughter getting swept up in a moment and losing um, track of time, shall we say? That's one way to put it. Um, <laughs> bouncing, on the, bouncing on the bed. Bouncing on the bed was definitely your best line of this podcast. <laughs> or also putting her in a headlock. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have to say, I don't know how this fits in, but I, I had a thought. Um, this idea that women don't like sex yeah it's really weird mm-hmm. and I find like women who who do like unashamed like who are unashamed in the fact that they like sex are like sluts what's wrong with you you're a disgusting person you know yeah. dare you like sex especially- so I feel like it has to do um excuse the word you know penetration but um <laughs> not a big enough reason to use the word penetrate <laughs> in the words of fat amy a different Amy um I think it has to do with like the fact that the person being penetrated shall we say like that's the like that's the cultural obsession I find yeah is like the person okay the person on the receiving end like shouldn't be enjoying it as much as the person giving it (laughs) you know what I mean though giving it why just say it because I'm a prude, but um, just like that's the way. Like, your there. You could talk to us about this. <laughs> um, it's just like the way it's culturally framed in very sexist ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I feel like like people expect men to do that because they're like, of course, men are gross because they love sex. Women shouldn't love sex. And the way they frame it of, as like, don't give in to the pressure. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not giving in. Maybe it's just, like, I also want to do this. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's a difference between, like, being swept up by the man and actually, like, both consenting people want to engage in this. Exactly. Anyway, that was just a thought that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the dinner. Um, Jess shows up late and doesn't have a cell phone because he doesn't believe in them. Don't know what that means. I mean, it's interesting how, like, I find Emily's re- Emily's um, remark to Rory about how, oh, how refreshing technology is invading too much of our lives. I find that, like, that's more of an Emily response than later when she's like, well, God forbid they, they get in another accent and this one doesn't believe in cell phones. Yeah, but I feel like that's just Emily finding everything to harp on. 
Yeah. So she can pile it on Rory. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Don't know say. But, okay, so he's late. He finally comes. He has a black eye. As Lorelai says, a black guy? No, not a black guy, Lorelai. A black eye woman. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Rory immediately jumps to, you got into a fight with Dean. I fucking knew it. And here's where I get frustrated because earlier in the episode, they showed how Jess can handle it maturely. Mm-hmm. Be like, tell me what happened, you know? And then he was like, okay, you tell me nothing happened, nothing happened. Let's move on. Tell me about the show. And here Rory is saying, I knew it. You got into a fight with Dean. Like, why won't you be honest with me? And he's like, I told you I didn't get into a fight with Dean. Let it go. Yeah. And she can't let it go. So could we say in that regard that um, Rory is almost on par with Dean? Because that's how Dean would have reacted. Like, Dean would have been like like a dog with a bone. Yeah. So I didn't... The reason... So here's the thing. I know it's a logical conclusion for everyone else to come to. Because later on, Luke says the same thing. Why did you get into a fight with Dean? Mm-hmm. But the fact... <sighs> Jess is so upset. I feel like... Well, first of all, he already comes to the dinner upset. Which is like, can you relax? You know what I mean? Um, I don't think his initial mood helped matters. No. If she wasn't... If he wasn't already so pissed and was much more calm and said, Listen, I didn't get into a fight with Dean. Could we just talk about this later? Mm-hmm. It would have gone a lot smoother. But the fact that she keeps insisting and he says, why are you pressing this? It must be really shitty to have everyone always assume the worst in you. Yeah. Like, it is a bit plausible, obviously, that Jess and Dean would have gotten into a fight, especially since uh, Jess was just inquiring about her being with Dean. Yes, because the problem that I have with it is that, like I said, it's... Everyone else is going to assume the worst in Jess. That's fine. Jess is probably thinking, I'm in a relationship with this girl, and I'm trying to be honest. And I've already shown her that I trust her. Yeah. You say nothing happened, then nothing happened. But she insists on thinking the worst in me. Exactly. Like, it's not about, like, yes, it is plausible. But on the other hand, like, you always assume the worst in Jess. And, like, well, what about Dean? Like, even if they had, even if they had gotten into a fight... Like, what, Dean's still an angel? Well, that's why he said, what if Dean had sucker punched me? Exactly. And I defend myself. And she's like, oh, well, he wouldn't do that. Yeah, and but I, what? But you would get into a fight with Dean because you're Jess and you suck and you're... I, so I think in that moment, he was just like, anything I say right now, they're always going to think that I'm shitty. Mm-hmm. Dean is the best. And honestly, I would have left too. <laughs> like... Can you even, like, can you imagine sympathizing with Jess in comparison to Dean? Like, Dean like Dean fans get so irate that people sympathize with him. It's like, he's a sympathetic character. I think so, but... Like, no matter where you stand on liking Jess, like, maybe, maybe he's not your favorite. Like, the character in itself is a sympathetic person. Like, a person, not a sympathetic person, a character to be sympathized with. Yeah, no, he's not a sympathetic person. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, mm. <laughs> We're working on that. He will, he'll get there, but not yet. Yes. Um, no, yeah, so that whole dinner was a shit show only because, like, he asked you to let it go. Mm-hmm. You're at your grandmother's house. Mm-hmm. You have no buffer. Fucking let it go. I know. But like, also, Rory was no angel in this, in this equation either. Absolutely not. But also, I feel like he just should have said, yo, I got beaked by a swan. Exactly. And I, 
and I'm not in the mood to talk about it right now because, yo, a swan attacks me. But I feel like even in that moment, if he had said this weird thing of a swan attacked me, she should oh. be like, you're lying. It was Dean. You had you had a fight with Dean, and Dean would never do that, so you're in the wrong, and you you attack Dean because Dean is still Angel. Yeah, no, I didn't like Rory in this episode. I didn't like this side of her. I no. very much wanted her to give her boy to trust her boyfriend the way he's trusted her and give him the benefit of the doubt. And then when he she goes and asks Dean, like you're still taking his word over your boyfriend's word, and it's fucking annoying to me. Yeah. Like I'm very annoyed by that. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, I don't. This is to come, but I don't blame Jess. I mean, I do, but I don't. It's different. I do blame Jess for not telling her about all the stuff he was going through. Yeah. But also I don't <laughs> because you've shown that you're not very sympathetic and yeah. that you're not going to believe him. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what to make of this. Like the, the older I get and the more I watch it as I get older, the more I'm like, oh, this is so much more complicated than Jess was a dick. He left, you know? It is. And, like, that's part of the reason why season, th- like, season three is not my personal favorite. Because I know there's just, like, so many, there's, like, so much teen drama and so much, like, I'll say angst, but it's not the right word. Like, so much angsty, um, so much, like, angsty emotions that are associated with youth. And it's, like, not to say that you don't experience it differently or have a different perspective on it when you watch it as you as you grow older. But in the moment, it's just, like, there's so much teen drama in season three. By season four, you're, like... I can breathe again. Like, so much of the drama is in the past. So, here's the thing. I kind of agree with that because it is very teen drama-centric. Like, okay, the party, they almost had sex, she got mad, Dean got mad, they got into a fist fight, no, no, no. Um, spoilies. <laughs> spoilies. <laughs> After the fact. Um, but it's also kind of heavy. Yeah. On Jess's part. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows he fucked up, he nobody that speech that he gives his dad where nobody wants him like it is it's very teen drama but with some heavy subject matter exactly and i feel like yeah like yes and arguably so i don't know if um jess's character development and growth would have been the would have been the same way if the spinoff had gotten picked up right like, I think it would, I think it actually worked out for the best that we don't see him again. Well, we see him in season four, but then after that, we don't see him again until season six. And, and you know, like, he's in a really bad place in season four. Yeah. And, like, that's clear. Like, that's evident. So, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say necessarily that um, he, like, he's perfect. No, no. No one is perfect. But I think the way that his character grows over the course of the time we don't see him is, like, satisfying for the viewer. Absolutely. Yes. Thanks so, you. Um, so, can we talk about how Mrs. Kim is an asshole in this episode? Yeah. Just in that one scene where she notices the boys in the car. David, who are all these unwashed boys? It's like, have you, have you never seen an American person before? But that was really funny. It is, but then, and, like... For Mrs. Kim. Yeah, and I but I also hate what she says about her own daughter in that in that scene. Oh yeah, for sure. That that was really shitty of her. But at the same time, at this point in the show, do we expect anything less from Mrs. Kim? I don't expect anything less from her, but like it's just it's just shitty to watch her verbalize it like that. And I mean, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that that's how she thinks. But it's like 
you're a smart boy, but she can be flighty. It's like, she's your daughter. Like, what are you, like, you're idealizing the friggin' man over your own daughter? Again, sexism, bro. And, like, I don't, like, it does not surprise me, but just, like, every time I watch that scene, it's like, she's your own daughter. You don't even know her that well, because you refuse to let her be herself. Well, here's the thing. I think we've said this before. There's a lot of similarities between Emily Gilmore and Mrs. Kim. For sure. Clash of the Titans. Yeah, well, that. Um, But in the sense that they both don't know their children very well and think that they do. Yeah, and exactly. I think, and I think this is a really good example of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly feel very sad for Lane in this episode. I know it's funny when we're talking about like, oh, he's like, I'll meet you. I'll have the guys meet me on Peach and then I'll jump the fence and blah, blah, blah. It's really sad. It is. <laughs> that she can't just tell her mom like, yo, I really like this guy. You know, he's a good guy. Can we just fucking go to the prom together? <laughs> Like, I'm not asking to marry him yet. Yeah, like, I don't want to be a teenager that goes to the prom. With this guy, like, whom, who you know for a fact is not a dick. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I, on the one hand, I'm torn because I'm like, yeah, it's really funny. But also, ugh, when you, when you, like, get to the root of it, you're just like, ugh, poor Lane. And that's why when it all comes to a head in season four, like, that's why it's so satisfying every single time I watch that episode. It's satisfying, but it's also very sad. Like, it's sad, but I don't know everything. But the more I watch that episode in season four where Lane decides to move out or, you know, Mrs. Kim kind of says you have to. Yeah. But, like, as I've gotten gotten older and rewatched that episode more and more, I don't know. To me, I'm, like, I'm kind of, like, it's obviously sad that her own mother can't overcome her own conservatism. Yeah. But her own her own values, her own beliefs. But like yeah. in that moment, I'm like, you know what? It's th- this is gonna be better for for Lane in the long run. Like it might it might hurt a lot now. It might be shitty and painful. But this is this is for the best. Yeah. So that's what I was gonna say. I'm like, just because it's sad doesn't mean it's not for the best. Mm-hmm. Well, I deep down inside, I know it's for the best because Lane can finally be herself. Yeah. Um. But it's still sad the way a lot of a lot of. A lot of aspects of it are sad. It's sad that Mrs. Kim can't get over the fact that her daughter listens to rock music. <laughs> like, really? Your daughter's a straight-A student, and, like, she she's done everything you've asked of her, and you just can't let her be in a band? Yeah. Like, that to me is, like, you know when we say choose your battles? Fucking choose your battles, Mrs. Exactly. Kim. Exactly. Like, come on, you know? It's, so that part of it is sad to me. It's sad that Lane can't be herself and has to leave at such a young age. Because... In the beginning, I see Lena as having a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. You know, we, they've always talked about how she's very smart and she has ambition. And she's like, it's sad to me that this whole thing with Mrs. Kim kind of stunts that ambition. Yeah, exactly. Like, she gets the sense that she's not able to do what she wants to in life. And she gets not stuck, but essentially, yes, yeah, stuck in Stars Hollow because mm-hmm. she can't be herself, you know? Yeah. So... I think a lot of it is more I'm upset. I'm upset with Lane's storyline, especially where she ends up, because I think to myself, it could have been so much better for her. Mm. <laughs> and I just get annoyed. But we'll get into that. But it remind, that reminds me of, the, of a tweet we saw a while ago um, that Kiko Ajina liked mm-hmm. saying, like, Lane deserved, Lane Kim deserved her own show where she could live her life on her own terms. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. <laughs> um. And I think I think it's normal. I think it's normal for 
for actors to feel frustrated with their character's development. Mm -hmm. You know, you spend seven years um, living this character's life. You become this character. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to kind of want better for them on the one hand. But on the other, you're like, okay, I'm not the main character in this story. But it's also like, that was so unfair. Yeah, it's true. So, I don't know. Um, We'll get into all that in season four and then later in season six and seven. But it's just, for me, I always, whenever I watch the beginnings of the show and I think, Lena's so good, so much potential, and then it kind of peters out, and I'm like, oh. Yeah, I know. So, I don't know what to say. (laughs) No, it it is definitely sad in that, in that aspect. Yeah, so I know a lot of it when we're younger, we laugh at it, we're like, oh, Mrs. Kim. Gives us great one-liners. You know what I mean? Yeah, but then, like, once it gets to the point of adulthood, it's like you're fucking up your daughter. Exactly. So, you know, I don't know. Um, Let's talk about Alex. Ugh, boring. <laughs> yeah, so I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the last time we actually see Alex. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bored. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I always get the impression that even the writers were bored. They're like, Alex who? No, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, literally, I'm like, what, who is he again? Oh, right, that guy. I yeah, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, so they go to New York with Suki and Jackson. Yes. And he's just, like, so monotone. Just, like... There's, like, no expression on his face. There's no. Like, <laughs> to his voice. It's just... It, there's no substance there. I'm sorry. There's no substance. Poor Charlie Swan. <laughs> Poor Charlie Swan. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm bored. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just, it's boring. There's nothing there. Like, I don't even think it's worth discussing, because it's like, bye. Like, the only reason I think it's kind of worth discussing is because I think his purpose in the beginning was to make Luke realize that, like, I have to get on with my life as well. Yes. But once that, once that's happened, it's time. Bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining your three-episode arc, but ciao. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. Um, okay, Luke and Jess going to find this dam- damn swamp. Like, I, what were you planning to do? Like, w- beat it to death with a ladle? Yeah, I think Jess is that level of frustrated. I mean, I would be too, but... Um, I still want to know where this motherfucking lake is in the town. Is that the lake that he pushed him into in season two? I guess. And the, like the lake where they were sitting in season two and then later at the dance marathon. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming. Like, there can be so many bottle, bo- bottles. There can be so many bodies of water in fucking Stars Hollow, Connecticut. No, and like, again, we've said this so many times, but the layout of the town makes absolutely no sense because in the first, in Jess's first appearance in season two, the high school is right next to this lake. I and, then, and then later, the high school is right across the street from Luke's. Yeah, and I have no idea where the fuck this body of water is. I didn't even know that it was big enough to row in. Where <laughs> it, looked like, it looked like shallow water to me. Number one. Number two, where are you going that you were crossing this lake and True. you got beaked? <laughs> I'm like, did he get beaked on that little, like, footbridge? Like, No. I was like, were you walking the footbridge or were you rowing? And why were you rowing? <laughs> Amy, we need more. <laughs> Also, it just doesn't make sense to me that he wouldn't tell her that he got beaked by a swan. And 
Also, as if Jess has a football buddy to throw. I was just about to say. Like, as if he has a buddy to throw a football around with. Uh, Jess, who are you kidding? Like, everybody no offense, sweetie, but you have no friends. Yeah, everybody knows everybody in this town. And if you had a buddy, Rory would have met him already. Well, like, if, if to me, I would have been more concerned by that response than I got beaked by a swan. Like, I would have believed beaked by a swan over hit in the face with a football. 100% I would have believed that. You're not throwing a football with anyone. First of all, you don't like organized sports. Don't fool anyone. And the only person who he has, like, ever interacted with outside of, like, Rory and Dean in Paris, apparently, is that guy in season two who he was fighting with. And Dean attempted to break it up. Yeah. No, it's not believable at all. So, Rory, terrible observational skills. But can I just say... Um, as this podcast resident English major, um, the this this episode in with the swan and being beaked by a swan, um, it is actually an example of a literary device. Hello. Um, it is called it's, a, it's so the term is Latin and it's called um, duis ex machina. I 100% believe you are pronouncing that wrong. Okay, I don't know how to pronounce the first word, but it's duis ex machina. It's not that at all. <laughs> I literally looked at how looked up how to pronounce it on YouTube before this recording. Well, you failed. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> you failed being a friend. Just kidding. Um, so this um, literary device is when something completely unpredictable and unexpected s- solves the plot. Mm. So, for example, Jess gets the black eye. Yeah. And... Everyone's like, oh, well, the most plausible explanation is that he got into a fist fight with Dean. Yeah. Everyone, and everyone assumes that for reasons we already discussed. But in the end, it turns out he was beaked by a swan. And, like, without, without having ever seen this episode before, who would predict that Jess got a black eye from a swan? Honestly, this whole episode, the writers were like, how do we make this the most ridiculous thing in the world? Yeah. And not to say it was, like... Like I'm like unpredictable for sure. Like clearly, we then believe it when when they see the swan. Mhm. But like in the moment, you're like, what? You're like, what the fuck is his explanation? Why is he grabbing a ladle? What's happening? And why was and where where was he beaked by the swan? Like, please tell us, Amy. Yeah, but honestly, when he tells when he tells Luke, he's like, fine, I got beaked by a swan, all right. Mhm. And when Luke's reaction was okay, now give me the real story. That was my reaction too. The first time I watched it, I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> up with anything better than that but i guess no (laughs) nope so something unpredictable and unexpected solves the plot Mm Hmm. well it's true um let's talk about their makeout scene yes at the end so 100 percent rory was gonna sleep with jess Yes, and then she realizes, like, what did she say? Like, no, like, don't, like, we're, we're almost there kind of thing? No, she's like, keep thinking what you're thinking. Exactly, keep thinking what you're thinking. She 100% wanted that dick. <laughs> Can you blame her? Oh, well. <laughs> but, I well, mean, let's I, be think she, I think she was, like, I think she's also just a teenage teenager and is, like, obviously picturing that happening at some point in the future yeah but see we never had that moment with her and dean good no okay say something else <laughs> like 
as much as they were dating, like they were dating for two and a half years, we never had that moment where like, yeah, this is going to lead to sex. And I think that says something, no? Absolutely. She didn't want that dick. I mean, later she does. I mean, later is a different story. But I mean, I think I think a lot of it is because she's older, but also because she actually sees a future with Jess, no? I think, yeah. I think there's, I think she just kind of feels, I'm not going to say more at home, but I feel like she That's feels some some sense, she has some sense of comfort with Jess that she didn't have with Dean. Yeah, and I think that says a lot about that relationship, right? The fact mm-hmm. that she's only been with Jess for two and a half months or however long it's been. And she's already thinking what you're thinking. Um, it could be hormones, let's be honest. An 18-year-old probably has hormones, of course, mm-hmm. in the body. But it could also be the fact that she just feels more comfortable with him. And yeah. She never felt with Dean. At least now. No. Mm-hmm. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that says a lot. Um, we're also kind of made to assume that Jess is, is way more experienced than her, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that I don't know if that kind of plays a part in it too. If she's maybe thinking like he's had sex before, um, maybe he wants to have sex with me. I don't know what the fuck she's thinking, but it's a lot of teenage stuff going on in her head. And I think I'm not gonna. I won't say it's a foreshadow to the party because the party, like again, is much oh, more I complex. So yeah, I don't think so either. Um, I think, like you said, she just, she feels something with Jess that she didn't, that she didn't with Dean, and that's yeah. okay. It's okay, man. It's fine. And I think if, and I think if, uh, you know, Jess and Rory had gone and bounced on the bed, oh I think, um, their breakup slash, you know, abandonment would have been a lot harder than it already was. Oh, definitely. Because it would have been all that emotion of, he was made first. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I get, we're going to get to the party soon. The party is soon, right? Yes. Um, I have so many things to say about the party. <laughs> I'm not going to I'm not going to say them all here, but I definitely think that would have been way worse. Mhm. Um, yeah. And then the last scene of the show is when she's talking to Lorelai about how she's thinking about it and that she seems ready to do it. And there's just like an awkward two minutes of silence with the la-la-las, and it's like... Yeah, so to me, the la-la-las are more directed at Lorelai because she's like, fuck, my kid's growing up. Yeah. And also, like, I know I wanted to know because I don't want secrets between me and my daughter the way there were secrets between me and my mother, but maybe she's realizing that certain things shouldn't be known. And also, ew. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't want to know when my kid's going to have sex. Like you like so on the one hand you do want to know because you want like it to be an open relationship between you and your child, but on the other hand it's like my child is a sexual being, new. Yeah, nobody wants to think about their child like that. Yeah. I think. As listen, as healthy as you know that sex is and like you shouldn't be ashamed of sex, it's always been like a I get the feeling that Lorelai has always been kind of sex positive. Mm-hmm. Especially like in the later seasons where Rory's having regular sex. It's not like you know, it's not something that they shy away from. So there's yeah. there's that on the one hand, it's knowing about that and trying not to shame your child. But then on the other hand, you're like, I'm still their parent, so there should be some boundaries where I don't need to know the intimate details. Like, yeah, I don't want her to call me up right before and be like, Mom, it's happening. Oh Lord, imagine. Ugh. You know, so I just I think I think we we've obviously talked about this before, but I think this is where be, being really good friends with your kid 
becomes problematic. Yes. Um, there should be certain lines drawn. And Lorla has a very hard time drawing those lines because she wants she wants so badly to have an open relationship with her child. She doesn't realize when it gets unhealthy. I think the whole premise of the show is like how being best friends with your with your daughter is in itself not always possible. Exactly. Like it obviously is possible because they are, but it's just a lot of the. But it comes with some baggage. Yes, the baggage and the tension that comes along with it is the whole point of the show. Exactly. Yeah. So I think there's moments like these, where you're just like, is it the best idea, Lorelai? Yeah. Or like, do you actually want to know, or are you just saying you want to know because you don't want secrets? But certain secrets are for the better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly to you about the most ridiculous thing she's a teenager you know you you know she's gonna have sex so i don't know i would i would draw a line in the sand i think <laughs> yes for sure but it is what it is and it doesn't actually happen so well you know i mean later but that's even messier and i feel like it kind of i feel like not to say that i enjoyed you know that happening at the end of season four but i think it i think that was a bit more of a natural course of action than if she said you know by the way mom I'm gonna be having sex now I just want to let you know yeah well I wouldn't I, w- I don't think it would be like that but I mean yeah I know I get it like these things happen happen sometimes you know without you planning them yeah exactly and I think what happens at the end of season four is really also a nod to like Rory likes to plan shit and be organized and your life isn't always like that exactly but we will get into all of that soon enough soon yeah. enough my pretties my critics. I can't believe how fast this season is going. It's crazy. It's weird because we're actually progressing slower seeing as how we're doing more episodes by themselves. I know, but we. I feel like we're getting into the nitty gritty a lot more. I don't know what the fuck is going on. But, but there's less. There's definitely less filler in season three. There's definitely less filler um, than in seasons one and two. Yeah. Because I think they're still kind of establishing themselves as a show, and now we now we get it. We're like, let's go, let's go. Yeah. Um. But yeah, um, I think that's all we wanted to say for this episode. Is there anything else you wanted to say, Jeffrey? I think we're done. I think we're done. Um, I wanted to say just lastly, I put together a little voting guide for our friends in America. 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 The damaged land. (laughs) God. Um, Because voting is important, especially right now. Please don't take democracy for granted. So you can find it on our Instagram. It's a, it's a story highlight, and I pinned it on Twitter. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things to know. <laughs> like, you got to register to vote. We don't do that here. No. You turn 18, congratulations, you can vote. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's just a lot of things to know. There's a lot of things about mail-in ballots and COVID and signing up and making sure you haven't been purged and knowing the issues. And it's all a fucking mess. So I tried to kind of make sense of it because um, I've been growing increasingly frustrated with everything that's happening in America. Mm-hmm. And I kind of don't know where to put my my anger. And that's, that's why we started a podcast, for our anger. Yeah. That too, but it's also like I'm I'm growing like more and more discouraged with all the shit that's coming out of the states. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have asked me like, we got a DM and somebody was saying like, oh, it's really cool that as a Canadian you're getting into this, and I'm like, um, I don't see it that way. 
Meaning, I think it's, I think it's like a, a global thing right now. <laughs> We're in the middle of a global shitstorm. Yeah. And it's stemming from the land to the south of us. Yeah. So, like, you can't say that their their um poor leadership doesn't affect the rest of the world. No, I think like it's it's getting to the point now where I'm just like I'm very depressed from all this. Yeah. And I'm not using that as a verb. Like I'm actually getting very um, like every day I wake up and I read the news and I'm just like, I don't know how much more of this I can take, mm-hmm. which is not saying anything for people of color, like black people waking up to the news. So, uh, and I don't know. It's like the only way I know how to help. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we do have, we do have uh, a fair amount of followers on Instagram. So if anyone should happen to come across it and learn something from it, then we've done our part. Exactly. So um, feel free to go and share it and share it with people to vote and get people registered to vote because I don't know how much more the world can take. And also. Tell us. It's been a very long time since you've updated us on the Gilmore Girls bracket. I know. I don't think, have, we, have, we, have we mentioned it at all in season three? Uh, we have. Okay. But I can update you. Because Please. round one is almost done. And um, there's been some controversial wins. Have there. Please yeah. share. All right, I'm sharing. So um, <laughs> we've gotten some people saying, like, fuck you, I can't pick. <laughs> kind of like how I couldn't pick between if Roy should end up with Dean or if Lorelai should end up with Chris. True. So boom. By the way, Ruby, no, don't ever submit a question like that again. Yeah, fuck you, Ruby. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We love you. Thank you for oh, that. Ruby, we love you, but your question, I still can't freaking answer it two weeks later. So can do it. Can do it. Um. So who do you think won between 307, which is they shoot Gilmore's Don't They? which mm-hmm. is the dance marathon, and 309, a deep-fried Korean Thanksgiving. Wasn't it tied the last time I saw? Nope, sir. Um, Was it Thanksgiving that won? No. Okay, I was going to say, because I was thinking, like, the dance marathon is obviously the better episode, in my opinion. Yeah, but for a really long time there, it was deadlock 50-50, and I was like, no, one of you has to win. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so people, I guess people just like the... I think people are also fucking over Dean and Rory. Yeah, and also I think um, you said that you like um, episode nine better than episode seven, and I was like, mm. I do. I don't know. It's a personal choice. Relax. Yeah, but I think in terms of the whole, like, which episode is more legendary, I think it's obviously the dance marathon. The personal opinion, Jeffrey. Personal opinion. Um, actually, round one is not done. Oh, it's not. That's my bad. <laughs> we still have a couple more. Okay, so you know well. What? We're going to post them on Friday. All so, of them. So buckle up. Buckle up. I'm just going to mention one to you. And the first one that comes to mind, you're going to tell me, okay? Ready? Okay. 513 Wedding Bell Blues or 613 Friday Night's All Right for Fighting. One, two, three, go. Uh, 513. Ooh, interesting. Just because season six can burn hell as far as I know. Oh my god, okay, you're so dramatic. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to post the remainder of round one on Friday to coincide with the release of this episode. Yes. And um, 
yeah, then once round one is done, I will share the results with everyone and we will move on to round two. And eventually we will get a winner. It might take a while, but I think you're all you're all here for the long run, aren't you? By this point, they best be. Okay, great. Well, where can they follow us? Gilmore Podcast on... Oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm so bad at this. They can fall. Wait, wait, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. <laughs> Gilmore Podcast on Twitter and Gilmore Girls Podcast on Instagram, right? Yes, look at you go. Thank God. Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes I have the memory of a depressed goldfish, and I don't know. A depressed goldfish. Yeah. What a vivid example. Well, um, we'll back. <laughs> And you can always send us an email, gilmorepodcast at gmail.com, if you want to, you know, send us love letters or just want to chat or say, I hate your I hate your guts. That's cool. We get enough of that on the, podcast, on the <laughs> fucking comments. It's fine. Your mother texted me back, Jeffrey. Oh, did she? So I, today is Jeffrey's parents' 25th wedding anniversary. Yes. And I text Deborah, happy 25th, 25th anniversary to this power couple serving sass and ass. And then she wasn't replying, and I was like, ooh, I went too far. <laughs> but, you know, she replied, and she said, ha-ha, thank you, with a bunch of emojis. Well, so see? Deborah and Cliff, a happy anniversary. Yes, can you, years, you guys. Can you even believe those losers, those losers have spent 25 years together? Yeah, dealing with this idiot. Oh, thanks. Oh. <laughs> so I think, guys, just think about how many of us can't make a relationship last for 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. And think of the fact that they've been together for 25 years. Mm-hmm. That's Actually, they've, they've been married 25 years. They've been together for 27. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Jesus Christ. <laughs> happy anniversary to Deborah and Cliff. And we will see you next week. Bye.